You're listening to Tiny Home Tours, a podcast that celebrates all things tiny living. We're your hosts, Allison, Chris, and Loren. Join us as we sit down with nomads and tiny home dwellers to discover why they went tiny, the lessons they've learned, and inspire you to take the leap. This episode is brought to you by the Tiny Home Tours newsletter. Would you enjoy a weekly newsletter that shares all things tiny? Every Friday, we share sneak peeks of full upcoming tour videos, blog posts, and new podcast episodes. Join with the link below or by visiting tinyhometours.com. Hi, I'm Loren. You can find me on social media at flip, float, fly away. I live in a 2018 Ram Promaster that I had professionally built uh, by off-grid adventure vans, OGA vans. Awesome. So the first question, a lot of people when they ask me about school buses, camper vans, the whole deal, is how do you go about hiring somebody? Because you have a large investment, you know, you can either buy a van from them or you buy your own van and you just give it to this person and hope they do a good job. How are you certain they won't skimp on materials and take shortcuts that will cause issues later on down the road? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good question. I think that um, like anything major, like if you were going to do a major home renovation, it's all about doing due diligence. So um, if you find a builder that you like that's in your area, you should absolutely schedule to go meet with them um, in their workshop if possible or in one of their, their vehicles, in a, in a bus they've converted, in a van they've converted. Um, for me, I was looking online and found, uh, just really lu- really got lucky and found a van version conversion company that was near where I lived. I lived in Washington, D.C. at the time, and Offered Adventure Vans is based in Frederick, Maryland, so it's quite close. So I reached out to them and um, met with the owner, and we sat and had a meeting in one of the vans that he had built. I saw the workshop, so I you know, physically felt the build quality. Obviously, there are more builders um, on the West Coast for this sort of thing because van and school bus conversions have been going on 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 the west coast a little bit longer than the east coast so depending on where you live you might not have the ability to do this Um, but if that's the case i would reach out to the builder and ask if they would be willing to give you the names of people or the social media handles of people who they have built vans for and then reach out to them i consistently get people on instagram who reach out to me because um, they were told by my builder that I, that I spend a lot of time in Florida and that they built one of my vans. So. so when it comes down to, you know, the, the layout, did your builder have a predetermined layout for your rig or did you go in with the builder and pick and choose different options? And what have you learned in that experience? Cause for example, with, with my school bus, I had the, the, the ability to travel in other rigs before I had a couple camper vans. I had a class ARV and I was able to know what I liked and what I didn't like and how I kind of wanted things arranged. How did that process go with you with the custom builder? Yeah, so I had my layout, um, I custom designed with the builder and it is actually now one of their form layouts that they use. So if you look at um, OGA's website, they have a layout called the Rambler and that's the custom build that um, Aaron, the owner, and I created for my van that now you can get as a stock model, which I think is super cool. Uh, For me, I knew that I had a couple of specific things that I wanted to to bring into a build. Um, In particular, 
the my van builder used had a wet bath normally with a shower with the composting toilet and that for me wasn't um, the correct use of space again for for my needs so i had seen on instagram a couple of different um, vans and school buses that had used kind of a hidden composting toilet and then had the additional countertop space so that was really one of the key things that we custom designed based off of things, other vehicles that I had, other conversions I saw online that I liked. So we did a lot of that. I would, I would send pictures of other people's vans or buses or RV conversions and say, I like this about that of this build, but I don't like this. And we talked through um, and sketched up a, a design. So when it came to the actual construction, did you just have the set list and then the builder went in and just completed or did you check in with them? Did they send you pictures? And are there any insights that you learned from working with a contractor where, you know, it's good to check in or you just get everything predetermined and then let them go at it? I think you should definitely with any big project that you are not there for, you should check in to make sure that everything is moving along as scheduled that they haven't come into hiccups that they've decided to solve on their own instead of consulting you because maybe you would solve something differently than they would. Uh, for me, I happened to be um, out of the country for work while they built my van. So they picked up my van from the dealership and they started building it. And I think they, they were building it and I hadn't even seen the vehicle yet because I was in Namibia for a few months for work. So I was just um, incessantly emailing at very late hours of the night and like, send me a video, send me a picture. And they'd send stuff along. And um, I think if I had been in town, I probably would have checked on it more. As soon as I got back, I did, I did go over there to check it out. I had also purchased a couple of things for the van. Um, I had a, a sink that I really wanted that didn't make any difference if they bought it or I bought it, they weren't going to get a discount for it. So I purchased um, the sink that I have. It's from Ruvati on Amazon. And I also at the same time, um, my same time I was building my van, my family was redoing their bathrooms. So they were working with a bathroom remodel thing. And I found um, my sink fixture for really cheap just because we were already looking at fixtures all the time for my parents' home. So I brought those things up into the workshop and peeked around the van and, and saw what was happening. I think it really depends on if your contractors are trustworthy. At the end of the day, you know, you don't want to have to babysit your project, but it is your home and things change. And if something needs to get fixed, it's better you see it happening versus having to have it redone once it's done and it's not what you envisioned or not what you wanted. So you mentioned that uh, you picked up your, your rig or they picked it up rather from a dealership. Was there any particular mm -hmm. reason why you went with a new van? Because your van was brand new when you did the conversion, right? The only reason that I have a new van is that um, my builder had a, a deal with the Ram dealership as a licensed upfitter. So that allowed them to finance both the cost of the conversion and the cost of a van. So um, that, that arrangement is the only reason I have a new van and the only reason I have a professionally built van because it didn't have to come directly out of my pocket immediately. So I treat it as my, I know it doesn't actually work as a mortgage payment. Um, vehicles depreciate much more than homes do, but I treat it as a mortgage payment or my rent uh, versus having to pay everything up front. And because of that, 
I had a much nicer van built than what I would have been able to afford to build myself. And that's why I have a brand new vehicle and a warranty. And it's really, really nice. And it's given me a lot of peace of mind, especially traveling as a solo female. Absolutely. So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I'll start with negotiating fees. And was it a situation where, you, you know, you go to a car dealership and they have a sticker price, but, you know, there's usually some wiggle room to, to, to talk to the builder. Um, was that the situation for you and other people in camper vans and rigs on the road that, you know, might have went the same path as you? Were they able to negotiate the build cost or is it just one set fee? Um, the way that it worked is I sat down with the builder and we figured out all of the options and what the, the total build cost was going to be. And we came up with that number. It was about $45,000, give or take. Um, and that was, you know, me, me deciding to put in, uh, at the time their base build started at 32,000. And that was like one solar panel and one battery and, you know, such and such. So I upgraded and added, you know, three solar panels and I switched to lithium and I added, I have four lithium batteries. So we went through all of that stuff and added all the options and got that last sticker price. And then I went to the dealership and they have, they had a specific salesperson that um, had already worked with them in the past. So he and I began emailing and having conversations on the phone about what things I wanted in a vehicle. So for me, I really wanted a backup camera. I wanted cruise control and I didn't want a white vehicle. So he was looking for Ram ProMaster vans across the country with those three things. It's uh, surprisingly difficult to find vehicles that are not white. So he was getting increasingly frustrated with me. He was like, I don't want a white van, just find these three, three things. And we came down to like two or three different vehicles. And then what the finance guys did is they took the cost of my build and the cost of those vehicles that we were negotiating and they put all that together. And then we did more negotiating on the total purchase price to see where, like how close we could get it to be to what I wanted my payment to be. Um, I didn't want to pay more than $1,500 a month at the top end. And you get to a point where the car dealership is not willing to negotiate anymore on the vehicle itself. So then I would look at the build stuff and I would go, okay, do I need, this feature. So I ended up, I was going to have uh, speakers on the back doors and you pulled up. So like I pulled those out to make my payment lower on overall for the whole loan. So really it was um, a lot of like moving parts to get it. So it was financially sustainable for me. Um, I know people run their money a lot of different ways, but I don't like I, I have credit cards, but I only put on my credit card exactly what I have in my bank account. I don't want to run out money that I don't have. So it's very important that even though I was getting a, a fancier van and a new vehicle, you know, fancier with air quotes, um, that I was finding myself at a payment that was sustainable for my income level and that I wasn't going to get myself completely underwater because like I said earlier, it is an auto loan. It does lose value as soon as you drive it off the lot. It is not like your mortgage, your home, that you're going to make your money back on it. So you have to make sure that you don't end up with some ridiculous car payment since you financed your your tiny house as a car. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So it's not necessarily the negotiation with the builder themselves. In your case, anyways, they had a set price. It was more of you moving around your add-ons and what was actually within the rig. Yes, absolutely. 
that's that's interesting so when, when it comes down to you know finding this type of auto loan what was the situation like getting that set up like i'm i assume he already had bank he had things set up to the point to where they were used to that situation to where you were wanting to do the whole thing in one payment and then you're you're good to go what was, was it difficult to get that set up or was that something that they're used to is that or, and also is that something that's expanding where that's more normal now yeah so it was it was very easy because all all of the financing on the loan is through the car dealership not through the builder so you are just it is just a traditional auto loan that they tap your build price onto so you're just dealing with the regular loan servicers and the regular financial officers for the car dealership so exactly like buying a car. Gotcha. Yeah, I didn't, I remember you telling me that, but I didn't know the actual specifics of how that, that worked. Yeah, so they're a licensed upfitter for the, the Dodge dealership. I think now they also have arrangements with the local Ford dealership to do transits. Um, and being a licensed upfitter would be the same way that like the postal service would have um, like racks and things put into the trucks that they buy from the dealership. So you've got a contractor who's going to do that and then include that in the price of the vehicle. So my builder became a contractor to build tiny houses inside of a vehicle that the, the dealership recognized as like a licensed upfitter. I got you. So this is a little bit of a tangent. So, you know, the solo female van life is, is a big deal in terms of people being interested uh, at how it actually works. And this question, you know, basically they say actual real solutions and insight into solo female safety on the road. And if you did implement this, like any safety features in your build or anything that you, you know, was top of mind for you when you were having your van designed. And if you don't have anything, just you can piggyback that with, uh, you know, just ways that you stay safe on the road. So as a solo female traveler, um, safety is obviously a, a really big deal and something that you're always aware of, um, just being a female in general. And I, I did not actually end up putting any additional security features um, on the vehicle that I had built in. I did really like the peace of mind of it being a new vehicle and that I, it's less likely to break down and put me in a situation where I would be stranded and possibly unsafe versus buying um, a older, less reliable vehicle. And I knew that everything, like there was, there was nothing in the vehicle that was going to make me unsafe. It was just going to be the, the situation. And I know then if I like, park somewhere that I decide I feel sketchy about that I have a really reliable new car that I can turn on and, and drive away with. Generally for safety, um, I think trusting your gut is just the biggest thing. If you pull into a spot, even if it's like where you've decided to stay for the night and it's late and you don't know where else to go, if it doesn't feel right, you just have to leave. You can't like, you can't ignore those things. It's not worth it possibly to end up in a situation that's uncomfortable, you can always drive to a Walmart, drive to a lit parking lot, sleep, you know, if the cops knock because you're not supposed to be there, you got to, you know, explain the situation or drive away or it, I feel like it's, you just have to trust your intuition. 
So has there been any times on the road where you've had to trust your intuition and it paid off or any situations that, you know, that other people could learn from? I haven't had any close calls. There's definitely been a few places where I was like, this is not like I passed, you know, like passed a camper that I don't feel good about and I'm going to leave. But um, overall, I've really not run into anything that's made me feel super unsafe. Definitely spooked myself a few times in the dark, hearing a noise and you know, making sure my, my doors lock and I can see the little red flashing safety light that the doors are locked. And I know that I can, there's a test button on my carbon monoxide detector that makes a very loud noise. Like I know that I can hit that from basically anywhere in the van and make a very loud beep or that if I hit the lock button on the van that it flashes the lights or you know, having those quick things. My knives are on a metal rack. I can get to those really fast. I have an ax in the van to chop wood. I can get to that very, very fast. You know, in your brain having those things planned out then you don't have to worry about it because they're it's already there it's the benefit of living in 72 square feet you can get to anywhere in that 72 square feet very quickly mm -hmm. so you went with a, a contractor they had great reviews for, for my rig i tried to build it as good as possible three-quarter plywood you know i built it to be my home for for the foreseeable future but there's always stuff that still i still need to fix on the road because our homes are in earthquakes and you know it's not necessarily meant to have a home in a van but you make it work right so how has the upkeep on the interior like the actual build itself has it been holding up pretty well yeah the build itself so i've been bumping down dirt roads for two years and um my van is all tongue and groove cedar and everything still looks great everything's held up um, you know, you drop a glass jar and you're, I have real hardwood floors, so there's some dents and nicks on the floors from use. There's that side of sort of thing. But um, for the most part, the build quality has been really great. And they have also done repairs um, as needed. So I had some electrical issues. I had some, uh, some of the breakers were overheating and tripping. So they sent me new fuses and talked to me over the phone on how to install them. Um, we ended up still having electrical issues last year when it was very, very hot in Colorado. And I just, this, my system just could not keep up and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. So the owner actually flew out to Colorado Springs from Maryland and replaced all of, um, all of my breakers with fuses and fixed the whole thing. And it's been perfect since then, you know, so that kind of customer service is you, you just, I mean, I guess you can pay for it. I am paying for it, but it's, it's crazy, that peace of mind. I also had um, a little bit of a crack form in my butcher block countertop from change in humidity and whatnot. And I drove the van back up to Maryland last fall. I was actually going to a friend's wedding, just conveniently in the area. And I was there for half a day in the workshop. They popped off and gave me a brand new piece of butcher block countertop and didn't charge me for it again. So all of that stuff has just been phenomenal of really having kind of like a white glove service of maintaining the vehicle and nothing else is, has needed maintenance. Those were just like happenstance things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely nice to have a builder that's going to be willing to do that for you. It's definitely a huge peace of mind. Like was, was that part of a warranty that you purchased or was that just like, like, do, do they have a certain amount of time that they're going to keep, 
you know, fixing things for you or how, how did that work or was, was that an option for you? I actually, I don't know. I, maybe it's warranty. Maybe it's out of the kindness of their heart. Um, <laughs> maybe it's, I, I speak about them uh, quite frequently and I'm definitely try my best to be a goodwill ambassador for, for their company. So I have no idea if it was just a, a reciprocal gesture. I'm not going to jinx it. OGA for listening to this. Thank you. Love you guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, like we're not being paid for the podcast. They didn't sponsor anything, but it's like, you know, when you, when we do business and you stand behind your product, that goes a long way, especially, you know, these days with online reviews and the amount of social media out there, it definitely goes to show. I mean, everything that I purchase now, either Amazon reviews, if I'm buying stuff off of Amazon or, if, you know, Google reviews, if I need a machine shop, you know, we, we're putting under base storage on my bus. And as I was looking at machine shops, the Google reviews was the number one thing that dictated where I went. And, you know, they had five stars out of like 25 reviews. It's like obviously a good shop, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I, I think that kind of circles back to that first question of how do you know you're going to go with somebody is, you know, the reviews and what people say. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I know um, Kirsten Barefoot Theory, she's spoken quite widely about the, she went with, she's on her second build and she went with a different building company from the first upfitter that she used and she did not have a good experience with her first builder. She blogs about that. She talks about that. She's given them, they've, they did bad work and she gave them a bad review quite publicly. And you know, like that, you have to enjoy that peace of mind as a consumer that if someone doesn't do a nice job that you can put that out there for other people and you can also see good reviews for people who do good work. Yeah. She's uh, she's fairly big. She has her own events. She has tons of social media. So yeah, that that's, that's a pretty bad deal for any company that's, that's done with that. But other than that, are there any mm -hmm. other important aspects of hiring a contractor that we didn't cover that you think would be pertinent for people? I think when you use a contractor, it's nice that they are buying stuff in bulk. Like you're getting things a little bit cheaper than if you were buying it by yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's just like the same, you probably got a fairly decent deal on your van because they had a relationship and I'm sure, you know, it cuts your cost down when they buy in bulk and, you know, they're able to build the, the van cheaper. Exactly. And they build their building cabinets in house. They're um, all of the wood and all of their vehicles are uh, harvested from stable local forests and processed in a local Mennonite mill. So like that is cutting down on a lot of costs. They're not purchasing a single nature's head, nature's head toilet. They're purchasing 20 nature's head toilets because they're putting them in a bunch of vans. So all those things do end up, you know, you're, you're paying for labor and, and whatnot, but you're also getting some of your higher ticket items for a little bit cheaper than you would be if you bought them individually. And I think that's definitely nice. There's for sure products that they use, you know, like they can buy a large tube of the glue that they're going to stick your countertops and everything down with, whereas you can't individually purchase. You have to, you know, you're buying like a 20 ounce tube of caulk and you need half an ounce all of that stuff adds up. And I think that that's nice for, for sustainability and to reduce, you know, all the waste. Absolutely. Well, if somebody wanted to keep up with you, see your 
new adventures with your either new farm or your your camper van life how can people find you online Absolutely. They can find me on Instagram at flit float fly away. That'll be a little van life and then soon a lot of farm life as I move up to my farm in North Carolina. Um, and you can also go to my blog where I infrequently write things um, at flit float fly away.com. If you want to check out my builder, they're off grid adventure vans, OGA vans. And for those either listening or watching, all those links will be in the description. So, appreciate your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Nice talking with you as always. This episode is brought to you by the Tiny Home Tours newsletter. Would you enjoy a weekly newsletter that shares all things tiny? Every Friday, we share sneak peeks of full upcoming tour videos, blog posts, and new podcast episodes. Join with the link below or by visiting tinyhometours.com.